0: To a podcast uh welcome Before back we start
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the funny thing is from the text when i read it i saw department of corrections and i was thinking we were going to talk about jail and like overcrowding and welcome
0: back to another they engineering podcast i'm adam i'm brian i'm alan i'm uh, gonna be a
2: guest on this show today
0: sweet you're the first guest to like own a piece of that beyond just saying <laughs> your name well, i like buddy. it welcome buddy thanks uh, man
2: good to see you guys
0: same so alan is a another good friend of ours from way back many, many uh, we were talking back. about this beforehand you're a software programmer by trade that's
2: um, how i spend. that's how i spend 40 hours a week
0: you spend 40 hours a week at least <laughs> But I've been particularly stoked to get you on as a guest, in part because I, I really don't think the podcast would exist without a lot of the interactions that we had during our like developmental years. I, I gotta say, <laughs>
2: um, I have often listened to this podcast just to pretend that like
0: we're on a couch somewhere. <laughs> like, I really <laughs> that's, think that's awesome. awesome. I think of specific interactions frequently that resulted in me being a more interesting person. Like, I don't even mean like, Oh, you taught me how to work a recorder. <laughs> like, uh, Everything I know about like uh, improv is because of games you brought back from college. Um, you're,
1: you're definitely one of those friends, Alan, that when I think back about our interactions as kids, your like character and personality age really well in my mind like Ooh, you get thanks, more man. and more and more interesting and I'm like damn that was more every little like memory I'm like that was even more valuable now that I have
0: perspective on it
2: I, I, that's high praise I'm glad to hear that
0: I, I was trying to think of a good story and the one that came to mind was the time we were in the classroom where we all had English senior year we all sat at a single very large table and there was one time when our teacher knocked over a giant thing of coffee Directly across from you on this big table, and you, in one fluid motion, grabbed the bottom of your sweatshirt, whipped it off, inside out, and onto the spill before anyone else knew what the hell was happening. <laughs> and like, contained the spill, pulled it back, and it was completely gone. And everyone just went, "Uh," and you were like, "It's just a sweatshirt. I'll put it through the wash." <laughs> <laughs> I think of that frequently when I'm like I'll just use my sleeve and someone looks at me like huh? and I'm like clothes exist only primarily to keep dirt off of us which I think is what you said afterwards you know
2: I I, my dad would always uh, cut out articles from Esquire magazine for me I think in, a, in a, an effort to make me at least a little cool and uh, <laughs> I, I remember clearly that one of them I I don't remember any of the context around this, but it said, you will be a happier person if you consider all of your shirts to be ultimately disposable. (laughs) That's a great
0: quote. I think that's like, let's just end the podcast right there. All right. (laughs) Good being here. Nice to see you guys. Um, No, the real place to go with it would be to talk about, you know. The value of t-shirts for demonstrating your... Oh, that phase uh, of my life is over.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a specific shirt and like specific pictures of me that are on Facebook that come to mind when you say something like that. And I'm like, I cringe at the thoughts of like what I was wearing and what I was thinking and like the goo I put in my hair and stuff at the time. (laughs) Was
2: there a slogan on the shirt that you're thinking about right now?
0: There's an important uh, thing to understand here. We went to a prep school where you had to wear a dress code all day. So we didn't have the freedom to pick our own shirts but for the summer and after school hours until we were like 18.
2: <laughs> and those t-shirts you wore underneath your dress shirt.
0: Right. That maybe people would see after school when you unbuttoned your shirt. Which was an, which is definitely an Alan Gilbert move. <laughs> so I thought we'd start this one off with, well, you said you have corrections. We I do. I, ca- corrections? I, came,
2: I came with two. Gentle corrections to make. <laughs> I love
0: it. Um, you have to introduce the episode as well. Yeah. I, I so little...
2: I actually was about to admit uh, I did not go back and like uh, listen to the particular things that I'm going to correct. So <laughs>
1: um,
2: episode three, I believe, was about quantum computing.
1: <laughs> right. I love this. Um,
2: so at one point, um, Kirp, you were uh, you were excited talking about how cool quantum computing is. And uh, one thing you said was that um, a quantum computer has a three-digit representation of information, or not three, uh, 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 three-state um, representation of information, as opposed to a regular computer, which has a binary two-state uh, storage of information. Uh, that's not true in two interest. Well, that's not true. And there are two interesting <laughs> things to say about that. One is that, um, ternary computing, which it would be a a computer where instead of a bit has a zero or a one, uh, it has three States that it can represent. Um, the Soviets back when, like, you know, we were developing rockets, they were developing rockets. We were developing computers. They were developing computers. Um, they had the same caliber engineering schooling as we did. Uh, and there was no interaction between the two uh, communities of scientific development. So they wound up making these, um, ternary computer computing devices that used this sort of, uh, base three numeric representation. And, uh, they used in it this like balanced ternary notation, which makes certain parts of computing much more, much, much easier and more, more straightforward to implement. But it's a huge pain in the ass to make these three state transistors. Whereas we were cranking out like, binary transistors for pennies, right? Theirs was a much more uh, convoluted manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately binary computing won out because there is no real theoretical difference between binary and ternary computing. Um, They have certain different strengths and weaknesses, but um, there's no real reason to prefer one over the other, except that you can crank one out for pennies per transistor and another out for potentially dozens of rubles per transistor.
1: So <laughs> dozens of rubles. So do you have, like, do you know off the top of your head some of the things that made it different, that so, that were easier or were simpler?
2: Yeah, um, been a long time since uh, architecture class in college. But um, representing negative numbers in uh, a binary representation uh, just cuts in half the range right so like Mm -hmm. if you have one byte um you can represent 255 possible values that can be zero to 255 or what negative 127 to 127 approximately Mm -hmm. i'm off by one there somewhere um because you just need this first bit to oh fuck my math isn't working out
0: that's okay. We'll
1: have a correction, uh, like correction, correction. Yeah, yeah. I'll right? come back. I'll listen to this later. <laughs> Wait,
0: but you're you're saying you lose a bit to the fact that you have to designate that it's a negative number? Yeah, there's one
2: bit that's like, is this a positive number or is this a negative number? Um, whereas in ternary representation, each digit... So, so there's a lot of ways you could do this. What they did was they used balanced ternary represent, representation of numbers where each digit was either negative one, zero, or one. And so... What you'd do is you'd go, um, should we break in for a second to talk about different bases of numbers or is that like too deep into the rabbit hole? Let's, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you talk about like base N numbers, we, we count in daily life in base 10 numbers, right? A, a number, any slot in a number can be zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And we all know how that works. You have the ones digit, then you have the tens digit you have the hundreds digit and the position of a given number or of a given digit matters. And some of them are worth a little, some of them are worth a lot and they go up by as powers of 10 in binary numbers, which are used by computers. Each digit is worth twice as much as the one to the right of it. So you have a ones place and a twos place and a fours place and an eights place. If you think about tallying, right, you're a prisoner in some dungeon you're just etching on the wall like, uh, how many days you've been there. Um, that's the sort of degenerate case of this. That's base one counting where, um, each digit is worth one, right? You only have one digit and it's one and either you write it down or
0: you don't, and then you just count them up. When you said degenerate, I thought you meant the guy in the cell. <laughs> Me
1: too. <laughs> Me too. And I've, I've never thought of that as being base one before either. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. Um, I got Yeah. Why not uh, both? I'm gonna claim um, that. That was a pun. But it was intentional. <laughs> I thank you for recognizing it. Um, and then another like way on the other end of the spectrum is sometimes you need to like cram just a ton of data into like a web address, right? You know, uh, zengineeringpodcast.com slash um, and you want like just a ton of data in the next like five characters. What people will often use is base 64 encoding where base 64 is you have all the lowercase digits, all the uppercase digits, and uh, sorry, all the lowercase letters, all the uppercase letters, and zero through nine. And then they like eliminate a couple of them because like one looks like L, looks like capital I, that sort of thing. And so what you get is a ones place, a 64s place, a like 1096th place, maybe. I mean, like the nose numbers gets big fast. And so in just a small number of digits, you can represent really
0: huge numbers. And so what you just described, it's how specific you can be with the piece of information in that slot, or?
2: Yeah, it's... um, Like when you say
0: it's in a digit.
2: think Think about why we have these systems of representing numbers, right? Numbers are some sort of concept, right? Like I have 312 sheep, like... That 312 does not exist on paper, but I want to write it down. And so I have a couple of options. One, I can draw a tiny sheep 312 times and then hand it to you. And you can count all of them and be like, oh, he has 312 sheep. Or I can save us both a lot of effort. And like we can decide on this larger vocabulary of basic numbers that we can put down, right? Zero through nine. And I can write three, one, two, and you like, you probably don't do this math, but ultimately you could do this math, where you could say, okay, that's two plus one times ten plus three times a hundred, right? And that's the number of sheep that I have. If we're doing like um, base three hundred and twelve, right? All you would do is write down the one digit that represents three hundred and twelve. And the reason we don't have a base 312 system is none of us could, you know, like, it'd be like learning to read Japanese. Like, you just need to know thousands of characters before you could count to 10.
1: Yeah, it kind of seems like base 10 is like an optimized compression algorithm for the human brain to uh, pack it up little chunks of counting. And be able to relay them to each other. Right. And there's, there's, yeah. Alan's holding up from. his, his 10 <laughs> fingers, his 10 yeah. digits right now. You ever,
2: um, you ever heard you know. Johnny 12 Toes off of the uh, Schoolhouse Rock albums?
1: <laughs> it's
2: about how if we had six fingers to- on each hand and six toes on each foot, we might call, count um, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, do, deck, L. Right.
1: There are, uh... if are there, oh, this is that a really interesting it topic because it, it there are uh, civilizations that have developed with different bases, right? Didn't like the Aztec, didn't they do everything in base 20 or base? Um, I,
2: I think it was probably base uh, 12 or I don't know. I shouldn't run my mouth about that sort of stuff while I'm trying to correct
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. Actually, is trip you up so the directions <laughs> oh, become Jesus. meaningless.
0: Not only do I mean that—that—that's probably answered the question I wanted to ask after that, though. Which was like, uh, so if an alien race developed along the same timeline that we did, and developed computing like we have, but they had six digits on each appendage, do you think that would their computers be better than ours?
2: No. uh in a theoretical sense, no,
0: not at this all. This brings us full circle to what you were saying right. earlier. And,
2: and, and that's sort of, that's why I wanted to call out call this out, because um, ultimately this is just a, a different way of representing information. What's cool about quantum computing is, um, and I'm not going to try and explain what a qubit is because I definitely do not really get that stuff, but a question that computer scientists often ask is, um. Is it possible for a computer to compute an answer to this question, right? How many sheep does Alan have, right? Can the computer get that answer? Yes, it counts all the sheep. Some things are easy to calculate quickly. What's the size of this list of things? Um, some things are a little harder, right? Can you take this list and sort it, right? That'll take for a short list, you can do that fast. For a long list, you can do that less fast. Um Some things, like will this computer program ever terminate, cannot be answered. Um, And so in that middle group, uh, there are a number of classes of difficulty. And one of them, which is basically all of the problems that we can currently solve with a computer, like that we can realistically hope to solve with a computer. um, The reason I wanted to call this out is that um, the interesting thing about quantum computing is not that we have, like, this sort of deeper number system to draw on. It's that quantum computing can, in a sense, try more or less an infinite number of things at a time. So whereas a computer that we have now, if you want to, say, crack someone's encryption password, right, you'd have to try, see if their password is 123, then see if it's 234, then see if it's ABC, then see if it's DEF, a gross simplification is that a quantum computer could basically try all of those and report back if any of them worked and tell you what that one was. And so that's what's crazy about quantum computing is like, we have encryption right now, like I'm encrypting files on my hard drive. And what I've done is I've chosen a random number between zero and 10 trillion, right? And if you want to figure out what's on my hard drive, you have to guess that number.
0: So then, so then what Jones was saying about it w- is still correct. In the end, which was the idea of what's so crazy about quantum computing is how <laughs> much more powerful it is that it's like, oh, passwords? Yeah, those are gone. Those yep. aren't a thing anymore. Cause Doesn't now we have a computer anymore. that just just blink.
1: Well that it was like, that all was a, of them. That was a funny <laughs> episode because it was our third episode and kerp like really wanted to do quantum computing. And and I was I did a lot of reading up on it and And my conclusion was, I don't understand anything that I've read, essentially. (laughs) Kerb's response to that was, no way, man. You work with computers all day. I'm sure you understand the, like, 50 articles you just read so we could do this episode. So we started and I just couldn't answer anything. (laughs) And so, like with a lot of our initial episodes, we were, like, arguing a lot. And Kerb's like, it doesn't matter if you don't know that. Just say something. (laughs) (laughs) Which in uh, the end I feel like has been the right direction, but the the only piece I knew when doing lesson that I learned was from Alan cracking passwords it could yes crack same. passwords much quicker. Do you have other like conceptual? Uh, that's that's not a very interesting oh, application yeah. for like the average person. I think. Do you have something more conceptual that? So like, like
2: um, one problem, one really hard problem that computers solve all the time, and they're solving them, you know the what are we using six computers between us right now um <laughs> we're probably doing this 3000 times a second i'm guessing more maybe i don't know um is a routing problem right i am speaking into my microphone at my laptop here um it needs to go out into the internet and find its way to both of y'all right mm-hmm. there are effectively infinite ways that it could go from my computer to you what's a fast one? What's the mm-hmm. fastest? So the question is like my computer needs to communicate with both of y'all's computers. What's the fastest way to get that information there? And that's a hard problem. Like that's a routing problem of like, where should this packet go next? And you have all sorts of incomplete information and, you know, you have data about what has worked recently, but things change and lines get cut, lines get full, like that sort of thing. And so well, you mean
0: cut like physically a wire somewhere oh, yeah, it happens. split. It, and so the grid is weaker in that portion. So sending traffic toward it would be so less it. You, you it's, around not, a, it's yeah. not optimal, right? Well,
2: it just like if there's a, um, there's a big accident on the highway, Google needs to send all those drivers around that. It, right. They need to like that, route that around path. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so routing is a, is a problem that is, you know just really intensive you just have to try a bunch of things and like you can make intelligent guesses or you can make dumb guesses but like even if you're making really good guesses you have to try a bunch of stuff and so quantum computing is an area where any given router in that network may well be able to sort of um instead of looking at all of these different requests that are coming into it and all of their deci- their their declared endpoints, it can just look at all of them at once and handle all of them at the other end and you know um it's a different kind of capability than what ordinary um, th- what we we consider computers
1: so yeah. i've got a weird i would just i was just picturing uh have you guys seen the videos of i forget what they're called lichtenstein um uh, lichtenstein is like the lightning strike right when someone gets hit with lightning oh, they get yeah, like oh, yeah. uh like that fractal thing direction. on them, like this fractal pattern of lightning, the lightning traveling right. through their skin. And I was picturing that on a wet piece of wood. I don't know if you guys have seen this. They'll set up positive and negative on both ends of the wood and they'll send... Lichtenberg. Lichtenberg. Um, good, good third correction. Um, and they'll send <laughs> the current through the piece of wood and you'll see that happening. And you'll physically see the electricity trying to find the quickest path through the wood. And right. as soon as it does, everything else like disappears and there's a flash and poof, it chooses the quick one. That's actually
2: and- a really excellent analogy. Uh, that's a phenomenal analogy for uh, what's awesome about quantum computing. And I, you know, thinking about sort of this like structure of tendrils, like branching out and trying to find the path to ground. And then as soon as like that connection is made, the whole thing just sort of collapses into that best path. Mm-hmm. Um so right now we have the ability to make parallel computers, like graphics cards are parallel computers for a very specific class of problem that you're trying to solve. Um, but we have to we have to manufacture this really elaborate hardware um, that can solve one particular kind of problem um, in this sort of massively parallel way. Um, Quantum computers will allow us to if you if you let me push an analogy a little far, I think maybe um, define those massive parallel searches in software, which means you buy one computer and it can do like parallel solutions to all kinds of different problems um, and you 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 can sort of um, without having access to a factory or a matter replicator, you can um build that kind of parallel search that will try everything and then collapse on the correct solution.
1: I was I was as I was imagining that I was thinking that there is a deeper thought here with the universe uh, and how the universe is calculating its own future through that particular visual representation of something that usually happens a where we can't see it and b at a pace which we can't really record it or measure it. And so to see electricity flowing, because you're kind of, when you're taught about electricity, you're kind of taught like it, it flows from here to here. And unless there's like a closed circuit, unless there's a clear path, unless you have like two wires touching, it doesn't go anywhere. And that always, that never jived with me when I was like taking physics. I was like, well, it has to do something to know that there's somewhere to go to even try to know, to even try to go somewhere. And when you see that in a physical thing moving, there's like, there's there's so much going on in like the intelligence of the universe of those little yeah. electrons trying to get across that board.
2: And exactly that same thing happens when regular lightning strikes the regular ground. It just happens on a, on a time scale much, much, much faster than.
1: Yeah, good point. Yeah, you that's, know, totally, also that's right exactly what's happening in the sky. and
2: roots and like. At a at a time scale that's difficult to observe for yeah. the nice. opposite <laughs> reason.
1: Opposite, totally. That's another great analogy there, Curb. Cause you, you know, you cast out a bunch of roots and then
2: one of them gets good and fat because it's tapping into, you know, groundwater or whatever. Send more yeah, that way.
1: seen scene in Jurassic Park with the really tall guy who, who has really peculiar personality. What's his name? He was, he's like the chaos professor and he's dripping water on her hand. Anywhere you have fractal patterns, it's the universe trying to figure out its direction. What direction should I take and how do I get there? And. I'm computing all these, these calculations at once to try to figure out where I should be going.
0: Incidentally, I feel like this is exactly the same conversation we had on the <laughs> way to that Tom Petty concert that disturbed me so much that I don't – that I do, they, exactly what we were just talking about, the fractal progression of nature – we had, I think and we I was both so in my off. head that we left the concert early. I was just like, I, we, I can't I can't do music right now. Can we walk home and just keep talking about this stuff?
1: Kirp and I were like raging while we were waiting in line to go into this concert, talking about how excited we were, all these things about fractals we had just been reading about. I think, I don't know if we just shared a bunch of articles with each other or not, but all the people around us, Kirp, we, we were a little fucked up. And so we're in line and we're like talking really loud. And Kirp's like, dude. You're freaking everyone out. Like we can't <laughs> be talking about fractals this loud. And so for the next hour, as we like make our way in through the crowds, we're standing in line. Like we're both a little uncomfortable and nervous. And Kerb thinks everyone's like listening and judging, and they're cons- they're like, "What are you talking about?" So eventually, we just lost it, and Kirp's like even. we we got to go. Tom Petty, Sunset what coming down the over the do mountains shit. at the Hollywood Bowl. And Kerb's like, "We got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this." <laughs>
0: Uh, I forgot we also went to a Tom Petty concert, though. Yeah. Is right, that what you were thinking that. of?
1: I thought you were yeah. digging
0: deep. So, I
2: so that so, okay. So, that was correction number one? That was correction number one. I have another minor correction. You're talking about encryption? Yeah. Brian, you said, you were giving some examples, and you said, you know, I guess even like if you zip a file and compress it, that's a form of encryption. Emphatically, no, that is not a form of encryption. Um that's an encoding. And the difference is if I know exactly how you, uh, compressed that file mm-hmm. and I get a copy of it, I can decompress it. No problem at all. Whereas right. even if I know exactly how you encrypted a file, unless I know the secret numbers that you used to encrypt it, like the, the key, um, I would not be able to decrypt it. There are a lot of really deep similarities between compression and encryption, but I had this coworker who just like always insisted that like, we don't have to worry about people like phishing all of our credit card numbers out of our database because we lightly encrypt them or like, (laughs) you know, we partially (laughs) encrypt them and like, these aren't real concepts and they don't exist.
1: Well... Wait, I want to dig this, I want to dig into this one a little bit cuz I'm glad you brought that one up in particular cuz I do I remember saying that I remember thinking that actually at the moment and it was like sort of a semi epiphany. I was like, "Hmm, this I even think that's encryption. You had a caveat there when you started out. You said if I know how you encrypted it, if I know, I'm sorry, if if I know how you compressed it, if I know the process right. or the algorithm. And so if if zip wasn't like a standard uh program and a standard algorithm that was available in every computer wouldn't that be the same essentially? Isn't like the pattern by which you compress it the same um, as an encryption, like a
0: password? How hard S- is how hard is one to guess versus the other? I feel like is really the, 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 is is that the question?
2: The the real difference is ultimately if I decrypt one of your messages, you need to like go back to square square one and come up with a completely new way of scrambling these messages before. Um, before you can trick me again, right right Mm -hmm. before you can hide things from me again. Whereas if it's an encryption algorithm, if I somehow come up with your secret password, that moment, like that minute, you can just be like, oh, here's a new password, right? Like generate a new um, uh, 4,096-bit encryption key and, you know, let Alan try and guess another number between, you know... One in nine hundred trillion, 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 trillion.
1: So it kind of, kind of sounds almost like this is a little bit of a semantic argument. The z- a zip compression is was not designed to be an encryption tool, so it's lacking some of the fundamental, foundational right. features that would make it useful.
0: Is this the argument with your coworker?
2: <laughs> the argument with my coworker is that like he genuinely did not acknowledge a difference. And I would say the difference is that, um, an encryption algorithm provides you with an infinite number of different ways to scramble a message, all of which are as difficult to guess as all of the rest. Whereas, um, a compression algorithm, yeah, it might fool me, but it'll kind of be like, I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a world book encyclopedia because I'm old and, (laughs) each letter of that encyclopedia started with this letter in hieroglyphics. And I just memorized all of those different characters, right? So A was a picture of an eagle and B was a picture of, you know, a hut and whatever. Um, And I could pass secret messages to my friends with that. But ultimately, it's just a little, it's just like writing in cursive, right? Maybe you don't know those letter forms immediately, Mm -hmm. but like, it's not that hard to figure out. And once you figure them out, you've got them. And like, I need to go back to the drawing board and learn a completely new thing.
0: The fundamental difference is that a compression algorithm is trying to take data out in order to make, you know, like a series of files or whatever, smaller. Like there's, it's predictable compared to what encryption is, which is every piece of this, we're rerunning this complicated algorithm on, based on this number and all of this math is based on this number and if you don't have this number it's useless to try to solve the math like right
2: and actually a really cool thing about like a really cool similarity between compression and encryption is that both of them operate by removing patterns in the data right mm. like think about if i wrote you a letter and it was just me going ah uh, and you wanted to compress it you would write 3000 a's period (laughs) right and like you just turned like a 3002 character long message into you know seven character long message huge encryption or, or huge compression ratio because there was like a big solid easy to identify pattern in there and you removed that pattern and just gave me like the shortest version of that um for different reasons encryption has A very similar effect which is if there are any patterns in your communication encryption scrambles them so that anybody looking at it is like oh this is just like tv static there's no information in here but in fact if you happen to know the like one number out of a trillion 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 um then you can de-scramble all of that and get Mm -hmm. a meaningful message out
1: i like i like the pieces you pulled out there you you just listed a bunch of things that, very clearly in my head, differentiated encryption from compression. Even though I do think there still is like a there's a deep there's a deep they're both place like we jumbling go. up. But what I wanted to bring up is actually interesting. I don't know if you guys know this, but um another person that we grew up with, uh Andrew, I don't want to say his last name without getting his approval, but uh he did a project for uh a computer science project for his masters, I think, where he looked at encrypted traffic let me see if i can get this right he was looking at encrypted traffic on routers that was exposed that he could so basically the nonsense the static that you were just talking about right and he was looking to see if you could identify the website that was in that traffic based on like sub patterns within the encryption uh, and I believe his conclusion was, absolutely. You could like tell that someone was looking at Facebook. I couldn't tell you what they were looking at on Facebook, right. but I could tell you it was Facebook's encrypted traffic going over the, the network. Which That's is brutal.
0: essentially the same as if you've seen the uh, uh, Turing movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, they I- end Imitation. up breaking it in the end. Be- Imitation game. That's what it was. I have a correction um. for that movie, FYI.
1: <laughs> um I like this. I'm hoping that this becomes a bit because I always want to correct stuff. And Kirk got me over it a long time ago, but it would be a really fun, fun piece in in episodes every once in a while.
2: Um, in that, in the imitation game, like early on when we're establishing the group dynamics between the like super scientists and stuff, um, Alan Turing like blows off lunch with all those people and he has like a single slice of salami or something and like scribbles in his notebook or whatever while he's designing his, um, <laughs> you know, his, uh, his, uh, machine and like later that other prick I don't I don't know um (laughs) has like his like tennis sweater like tied around his waist or whatever and he's like you're coming out with us Alan we're going to the pub you know and uh he boasts like we decrypted three of these messages by doing letter substitutions right which is like oh they use this character the most it's probably an e right? And then like we check E off our list and like go through. He says that they did that. Totally not true. That's not the, the crazy revolutionary thing about the Enigma cipher was everything changed every character, right? So an E wouldn't be represented by the same other letter all the way through. And if they had, you know, solved three messages using this like substitution stuff, they would have solved all the messages for the day because they would have had to get the the actual key so anyway i really wanted to like that movie and i was really (laughs) angry that that happened
1: i i remember spotting an error in that movie also but i can't remember what it is so i'm gonna assume that maybe it was that that natalie portman was into alan turing
0: (laughs) is it is it true is it historically (laughs) is it historically accurate that they that the word substitution was or not substitution but you know what i mean uh the pattern recognition was heil hitler or whatever it was i think
2: no actually one one of the things that did allow the allies to break that cipher was um the nazis were total nazis about everything and every single morning at exactly 6 a.m they sent out a a weather report that had exactly the same format Mm -hmm. and i bet this is similar research to what um Andrew was doing with like, is that encrypted traffic Facebook or what mm-hmm. is like, because the underlying structure of that message was so rigid, um, even in the encrypted data, there were sort of like structural similarities that we could like hang on to and like really reduce the number of combinations we had to try.
0: Do you want to do Sacagawea coin?
1: Yeah, let's lighten it up. Cause this has been okay. like real- so- it's written pretty deep for a, a hit so list. beyond
0: corrections, the other there's another bit that there's another, <laughs> I call it a bit like I'm, like I'm a comedian and I know what I'm doing. There's another hit list topic that we've tried a couple of times and they just weren't right. And I, I, I should ended have been up...
2: recording it in your uh, Honda Pilot. Right. Dozens <laughs> of times all those many years ago, whenever anyone oh. gave you a Sacagawea dollar as oh. change.
0: So the hit list item says Sacagawea gold coin right? It's a dollar gold coin. Is that what it is? It
2: was a $1 coin. I worked at a bank at the time and people always like old ladies would come in and ask how much they cost.
0: So, (laughs) so whatever year that was, I don't remember in our childhood, they announced that they were doing away with the Susan B. Anthony silver dollar and replacing it with a gold dollar. And there was a whole, and it was in the headlines for a while that they were trying to pick like what was going to go on this coin and they ended up picking Sacagawea. Anybody want to take a stab at explaining who Sacagawea is? <laughs>
1: uh... I
0: believe she's the Native American woman that helped Lewis and Clark get like through the wilderness That's true. to make she it. She's from... Lewis
2: and Clark's guide.
1: Yep,
0: nailed it. Anyway, so they put her on this coin, and at the time for me. It was like the only piece of currency that didn't have some sort of political leader on it, and it made me grumpy. About, uh, I'm how, trying. How white men to... are
2: being displaced from their proper place. Yeah, basically, <laughs>
0: I was. You know, it, it. I'm. I'm having trouble recounting it because I don't want to sound like the asshole that I was about the existence of this coin <laughs> when, you were, I when you to, were a teenager. I have, to,
2: I have to tell your listeners. Um, Kerp actually texted me. Adam actually texted me. I don't know. Must have been this two, how it three ended months up ago. Is
1: <laughs> when uh
2: Harriet Tubman got named for the tw- for the twenty dollar bill. Um, Adam texted me. and He said, "You know what? I think I've turned the corner on Sacagawea."
0: <laughs> and I, I almost, I it's I like almost dropped my phone. I hadn't afterwards. thought about Did that. that? I, this this is what I thought was great. We hadn't talked. Probably like since my bachelor <laughs> party. So it had been eight, nine months. And I sent and you a text out of nowhere in 15 years. college. Yeah, <laughs> 10 years. And so I just sent you a text that said, I think I've turned the corner on the Sacagawea coin. And your response was Harriet Tubman? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> like, I appreciated that. I didn't even have to explain it to you. Like you had already... No, it Put tracks. together the logic, what track that my mind was following to get to turning the corner on the Sacagawea coin. But really, though, so they announced the $20 bill with Harriet Tubman on it. And I realized, like, you only get to pick what's going to go on money ever so every so often. And they have an agenda, and they're sticking to it in terms of diversifying just the type of characters that are yeah, on our money. Like, never mind... Yeah, Andrew Jackson is a terrible person. <laughs> I mean, he was a president. It was impressive. But he was also like a murderer. He had a bullet inside his body from a duel the whole time that he was president. This guy was.
2: His was parrot got ejected from his funeral for bad language. But I also appreciated your props when you said. Yeah, you know, you're a big man for admitting it, for digging
1: that deep. That is nice. That's a huge accomplishment, Adam. That's part of the reason that I think we're doing this podcast too. So it's nice to have a real firm example of your growth.
0: Yeah. It's safe to say I had a, a foolishly intolerant position on the I think, inclusion of... I a- think Adam's analysis
2: of the situation at the time was that white dudes were out and... um diversity points were in
0: diversity points that's what i think is important right (laughs) it seemed like a bullshit pr grab right? right it was like they couldn't they didn't explain it in a way that made me be like yeah that's an important person but i at the time i didn't understand it they didn't explain it to me and we were, like, yeah. 16, right? Also, was,
2: we were 16-year-old suburban. Yeah, we who was grabbing
0: the PR right. in the situation? But somebody's in charge of <laughs> writing a document that goes out announcing that this coin is going to exist, oh. the, yeah, the U.S. Mint or something, right? <laughs> Do you
1: think it's the people that, when I just searched for Sacagawea on Google, the people who are promoting the sexy Sacagawea costumes that come up in, like, the top 20
0: searches? I say
2: zero overlap. <laughs> well, I was certainly too solipsistic to recognize how they were talking about it what messaging i, was I know
0: that term solely because you came to understand that term long before anyone else i would ever talk to Wait, i remember we're you sure. telling me about solipsism have a philosophy degree <laughs> Dude, that's what <laughs> yes so we taught you would explain to me things like so do you want to explain what solipsism is first i'd oh. say it again Solipsi- solipism? Sol- Sol- solipsism
2: solipism solipsism
1: solipsism
0: um so my
2: perspective as a teenager was solipsistic and um you know it sort of comes down to the idea that like okay um ultimately nobody can convince me that they exist right there's like uh-huh. if you if you posit that there's like a wizard who has my brain in a jar i guess he's a scientist wizard um And he's like beaming experiences at me, then literally nothing you do could actually convince me that you exist. I know that I exist because I'm having the experiences that I'm having, but nothing else could, you know, we're all grasping at epistemological straws.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You explained this to me in sixth grade. (laughs) It would not come up again in a conversation that wasn't with you until I was a junior in college. Studying philosophy to get letters after my name. I I found that um, (laughs)
2: this was a really fruitful. uh, (laughs) For a uh, brainy kid who was in an all boys school full of people who didn't like him. This was a reliable way to get a
1: rise out of.
0: (laughs) It's good to have tools to know the people that you're just like, you know, this is just not going to work out yep <laughs> sorry ways
1: to judge they might as well be t-shirts because then no. the person can at least choose to wear a certain t-shirt
0: okay i feel like that's <laughs> as good a place as any to get out of this one uh thanks for thanks for hanging around for another one of these and thanks for hanging out alan yeah thanks for having me uh, i keep racking up the, the uh corrections we'll, <laughs> we'll make this a regular we're Thanks missing. for Patreon. Backers. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Everybody else hanging out. But, I'm uh, Adam's so Brian, I'm, Ryan,
1: I'm, I'm Adam. Find us where you found us, which is useless, but I kind of it has grown. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. <What?
0: laughs> I just, I'm, I'm assuming that you, you're just gonna retry whatever brought you to us the last time you ended up listening. It doesn't really matter
1: anyway because none of you really exist, So right. I'm Adam. (laughs) I'm Brian. I'm Alan. Jones. Oh, yeah. If you're out there and you're not just a figment of my imagination, I hope you have an awesome night. Good (laughs) to see you. I'm generally pretty paranoid. I
0: just don't think anyone cares what I'm up to.
1: I would imagine that as a parent, you can only worry about so many things. So you've got to just default to some like, hey, man, here's some standards. I haven't really thought them through, (laughs) but you're going to live by them. (laughs) (laughs) Heh <laughs>